The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. We're going to continue our series in the book of Exodus this morning. If you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn. Uh, I'm going to read the last two verses of chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, and then I'm going to read the first seven verses of Exodus 7. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there, and the words are going to be on the screen here behind me. So the last two verses of Exodus 6 and then the first seven of chapter 7, it says this, On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Something we established a bit earlier in this series is that much of this showdown between God and Pharaoh can be summed up like this. There are words that we see in Exodus where it says, thus says the Lord, but we also see in Exodus, we can read, thus says Pharaoh. So we see this showdown between God and Pharaoh, God being the God of good. Everything that God does is good, is right, is just. But Pharaoh in this story representing darkness, representing evil, even representing Satan himself. But there's also another contrast that we see playing out throughout this story. There's not only God and Pharaoh, but there's also God and Moses. And in the first few chapters of Exodus, we've come to understand more about Moses, this man's character, this man's weaknesses, this man's lack of faith. Remember, this is a man who committed murder. This is a man who repeatedly says before God, no, not me, I can't do it. In fact, that's what he says there at the end of chapter 6. He says, I have uncircumcised lips. What, what, what does that mean? We touched on this a little bit last week. Moses is saying that because of his speech impediment, that's what most scholars believe Moses had. He, he regularly before God is saying, I don't speak well. He's saying, I have uncircumcised lips. He's saying that my, my lips are not set apart for the, for the work of God. They've not been made in a way where I can do God's work. And he says, I have uncircumcised lips. I, I don't speak well. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. And we see God just all throughout this story already, and we're just really getting going in this story, so tenderly and graciously working with Moses and pointing out things in his character, putting his finger on things in his heart, Things like when Moses tried to take matters into his own hands and he killed the Egyptian earlier on in this story that was beating the Hebrew. Also things like hidden sin in Moses' own life that we spoke about a few weeks ago. The fear that just seems to plague Moses' 
life. God, as a tender, loving father, working on these things, working on these things within Moses. And we see that again here at the very end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. Moses saying, essentially what he's saying is, I'm not qualified. I'm, the, the, because of how I speak, because of my speech impediment or whatever's going on there, I'm not qualified to do this thing, God, that you have called me to do. He actually goes a bit further than that of what he's saying. He's saying, I'm disqualified. My uncircumcised lips, my, my mouth, which is he's saying, not able to do the work of God, has disqualified me. Maybe you feel something of that this morning. Maybe there's something of this that you feel you can relate to. You feel perhaps utterly unable, unqualified to do the Lord's work. Things that you know he's called you to, perhaps in the church, in life with your family, maybe around your colleagues, whatever it may be, you just feel, I'm not qualified. I don't have the skill set. God hasn't given me the ability to do this thing that I know that he wants for me, that I know that he's calling me to. Or maybe, even going a bit beyond that, maybe you feel disqualified. You think, oh, Pastor Rich, there's something that, that you don't know about my life. There's this thing that I did. There's this thing that I've done even recently, and it means that I'm disqualified from serving God. He wants nothing to do with me. Friends, we, we can find ourselves, and we're supposed to find ourselves, regularly in this story. I mean, Moses, a man like us, right? With all of his weaknesses, with all of his lack of faith, with all of the ways that he struggles to trust God and his relationship with God. Can't, can't we relate to that? Of course we can, if we're being honest. But there's much encouragement that we can take from this as well in how God responds to him. This morning, what I want to spend some time talking on is this theme, this topic of qualification. That's what Moses is saying here. God, I'm not qualified. Now, a pastor in any city, anywhere, uh, could talk about qualification, but there's something particularly relevant about uh, qualification here in Ottawa. So let's do a little bit of trivia for you here. Name the most educated. Can you name the most educated country among the G7? Do you know what it is? It's Canada. Do you know the most educated province within Canada? It's Ontario. Name the most educated city in our country. Where do you think it is? You know where this is going. It's Ottawa. It's Ottawa. We are the most educated, and I'm drawing a line there between education and qualification. We're the most educated city in the country. We are the most educated city in our province, and our country is the most educated, on average, among the G7. Ottawa has more PhDs per capita than any other city in Canada. Did you know that? More PhDs per capita. So take that, Toronto, with your fancy TV tower or kebab stick or whatever it is. We've got the brains, right? We've got all the brains right here. So there's something about qualification in our city that's like, no, we, we're in a city that takes qualification seriously. In fact, that's what has drawn many of you to Ottawa in the first place. Now, I'm not standing up here, I want you to know, I'm not standing up here to say qualification is bad. That's, that's not my point. Both my wife, Natalia, and I have educational qualifications behind us that we've been very grateful for. What I am up here saying is that qualification is a lousy God. Qualification is a lousy God. It's not bad in itself, but if we worship it, whew, we can end up in some really dark and dangerous places because it's not meant to be worshipped as 
a God. In our culture, we draw often a line directly between qualification and our identity, don't we? Such uh, to the degree that if you earn certain qualifications, your very name can change. You know, how you're addressed, you become Dr. So-and-so, or you're able to write on your email signature, wherever else, letters that are after your name or before your name. So we draw a line between our qualification and our very identity itself. So with so many cultural pressures on us when it comes to qualification, how do we hold qualification in a biblical way? How do we hold qualification in a healthy way? How do we hold that in a way that lets us see God as ruling and reigning above it and, and, and not worshiping qualification as a God itself? Well, I think part of the answer to that can be found in the text that we're looking at this morning. And that is how, Mo, how God responds to Moses at the very beginning of chapter 7. So remember, Moses here at the end of chapter 6 is saying, God, I'm not qualified I'm not qualified to do this thing that you have called me to. And remember, this isn't the first time that Moses is saying it. He says it in chapter 4, says it twice in chapter 5, says it in chap- here at the end of chapter 6 as well. I'm not qualified. How, how is God going to respond to that? Moses is saying, I have uncircumcised lips. My lips are not set apart for your work, O oh God. I can't do it. I'm not qualified. What's God going to say in response? Well, what God says in response should shock us. It should. It should shock us. Moses says, I'm not qualified. And God says, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Now, let's, let's slow down and look at that. See, I have made you like God. It doesn't say, I have made you like a God. It doesn't even say God with a lowercase g. Do you see it there in your Bible up on the screen? See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. That's a strange thing to say to somebody who says, I'm not qualified. Moses, I have made you like me to Pharaoh. This is huge. This is huge. What Moses had lost sight of is that his qualification has happened as a work of grace by God. He was qualified because of God's choosing, because of God's appointing. Not because he could speak well, not because he had any other great leadership qualities or anything else like that. His qualification was by grace. Let me ask you, how how does one qualify to be like God? The God that we know about in this book, the God who is holy, the God who is set apart, the God who is right and true and just and pure in in every way. How does one qualify to be like God? There is only one answer to that question, and the answer is grace. The answer is grace. There is no other way to qualify to be like God, except that God himself would give that qualification, not to those who have earned it, but to those that he has chosen to give it to. That's exactly what we see happening right here. It's logical thinking, isn't it? A a PhD student, for example, qualifies to be given a PhD when they are deemed to be knowledgeable, when they are deemed to be competent and capable enough on a particular subject. But who is knowledgeable enough 
to be like God? Who is competent enough to be like God? None. None. So this is logical thinking, that the only ones that can be qualified to be like God are the ones to whom God bestows that qualification. It can only be by the grace of God. Philosophers and theologians, they've been wrestling with this question, like, God, who, who can be like him? We see this from the psalmist in Psalm 144, verse 3 and 4. O oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. So for Moses and for you and me, the only way that we in any way, shape, or form can be like God is that if God chooses to give us that qualification or distinction, we are utterly and completely unable to earn it in ourselves. Yet, and this is amazing, you might be thinking, well, this is interesting about Moses, sort of. I I hope you feel that way. But what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with today? For life today, in our city of qualification, what does this all have to do for right now, have to do with right now? Well, it has this. This is exactly, this qualification is exactly what God has offered us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that Moses is a pointer. He's a type of Christ. He's not exactly like Jesus himself, but the story is in here because it's meant to point us to the better Moses, the greater Moses, Jesus Christ himself. Moses is a forerunner to Jesus, the one who points. Moses is one who points to an even greater Moses, and that is Jesus. So in Exodus 7, God declares to Moses that he has made him like God to Pharaoh, and in Christ, God has made the church like Jesus to the world. You with me in that connection? In Exodus chapter 7 here, God says that he has made Moses like God to Pharaoh. And in Jesus Christ, God has made the church like Jesus to the world. And I know what you're thinking. If you've been here longer than 20 seconds, you're probably thinking, no, I know enough about church to know that the church is not exactly like Jesus. I have enough experience with church to know that the church is not exactly like Jesus. Hey, including this church. I hate to break it to you. This is not a perfect church. Shock, right? This is not a perfect church. It's not led by perfect people. Okay? So you might be thinking, well, no, the, 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 church, the church can't be like Jesus. But again, we need to humble ourselves and get into the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say about this. I want you to consider, there are three texts that I want to show you that I want, that I want uh, you to see a progression in. The first, these will all come up on the screen. The first is Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, okay? This is about Jesus himself, something that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, Matthew 10, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he's sending them out to do this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Jesus says in John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and listen to this, and greater works than these will he do. Man, we I've been in conversations where, you know, myself and others try to wrap our heads around Jesus saying, and greater works than these will he do. 
What, what, what's being referred to there? Are there things that we can do that are greater than what Jesus has done? What, what Jesus is speaking about here is scale, okay? He's not saying that the miracles that we do will be greater than the miracles of Jesus. He's saying that they will be done in, in a wider way, in a wider places. Jesus' ministry was, was fairly localized, but what we see in Acts is the church going out, going out. That's what Jesus is referring to when we read about greater works. He says, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Then the third text, and again, I'm wanting, wanting you to see this progression. Okay, so the first text is Jesus sending out the disciples, saying, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Then in John 14, Jesus is saying to his followers that whoever believes in me, that they will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. And then in Acts, we see the church going out and this thing happening. Okay? Acts 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I'm showing you these church so that you see the progression. Jesus comes in power. That power is given to the church. The church then filled with the Holy Spirit of God goes into the world as what? As the body of Christ. Corinthians chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now we hear that verse and in our very individualistic culture, we hear that as I am the body of Christ. That is not what is being said here. It's not, no offense, Sarah, it's not you are the body of Christ, okay? It's you are the body of Christ. This is so key. It's not you are the body of Christ or you, it's you are the body of Christ. So my request to us as followers of Jesus is can we please stop talking about us being the hands and feet of Jesus? Because what about everything else? Because <laughs> Corinthians chapter 12 says that the church is the body of Christ. Now I know we sit there and we think, okay, so you're saying that in the church that we go out as the body of Jesus. I'm not saying that. Scripture is saying that. It's just not the view of the church that we tend to have, is it? We need to let this get under our skin. You know, we can get so wrapped up in questions like, oh, is, 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 is going to church, is that, you know, is, isn't that an optional thing? It's just, it's just the wrong conversation. It's just the wrong conversation. When we understand the church as the body of Jesus, like if we're having conversations about whether it's optional or not, like we're totally missing it. Knowing this about the church why would we voluntarily remove ourselves from that? Like, why would we? It's absurd. Yet we do. We treat it as, well, no, it's me and God, me and God, me and God, whereas the main thing that we come to in Scripture time and time again is God and us. It's God and us. Isn't that what we've seen time and time again in this story of Exodus already? Yes, God is working with Moses as an individual, as one man, but it's not about just saving Moses. It's about saving and redeeming a people. And friends, God is still about that work. 
We are the body of Christ, and just as God told Moses that he would be like God to Pharaoh, God says to the church that you will be like Jesus to the world, stepping in the power and authority given to Jesus. Now, bringing this back to qualification, again, this is not a qualification or an identity that we can earn. As much as we might try, this is not a qualification or an identity that we can earn. This is one that is only given by grace. And this is so key for us in Ottawa because this is the exact opposite to how the world works when it comes to qualification. The world qualifies, even our city qualifies those who are worthy after a process of preparation, don't they? I'm looking out here, I see many of you as students, you know this to be true. This is the air that you breathe in your program, right? You go through this process of preparation and then you qualify if you are worthy for that qualification. This is not how God works. Whereas the world qualifies those who have gone through a process of preparation and those who are worthy, God qualifies the unworthy and then leads them in a process of preparation. It's upside down. It's different to how we experience it in the world. God qualifies the unworthy and embraces them as sons and daughters. Students, your profs aren't going to embrace you as a son or daughter. And if they do, it's really creepy. Okay? God does. You're not, if you're here, you're part of the family of God, you're, you're, you're not, God doesn't look and go, oh, that's, 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 just, that's one of my students. God says, that's my son. That's my daughter. The qualification is given to you by grace. Praise Jesus. God qualifies the unworthy and embraces them as sons and daughters and then sets in motion a perfect process of preparation. Firstly, you should admire the alliteration that you just heard because that was really good. Okay? God sets in motion a perfect process of preparation. That might be what you find yourself in right now. You might have hardship in your life or challenges in your life right now. God, where are you in this? This might be your process of preparation for service to God, but don't confuse that with God trying to see whether or not you qualify. Don't confuse that with God trying to see whether or not you qualify because your qualification, if you are in Christ, has already been given to you by grace. But as a loving and tender father, he still prepares us for work that he calls us into. But it's not so that at the end of that process of preparation, then we earn our identity as sons and daughters. No, that is given at the beginning by grace. Praise Jesus. Some of us here, we, we need to hear this this morning because so much in our city, and I, I know you've heard me say this, we, I, I love Ottawa. I love that I get to call Ottawa home. Okay, I really do. But as I travel, as I'm in other places, when people say, hey, what, for the city that you're in, the city that you live in, the city that's home for you, what, what's one of the gods of Ottawa? One of the first things out of my mouth is qualification. Qualification is a god in our city. We need to be on guard for this. We need to hold this in a healthy way. You're here, you're in Christ. Your qualification has been given to you by grace. Regarding qualification, we can become so focused, can't we, on human-to-human comparisons. In the workplace, we can, we can kind of, in our minds, how do we stack up against this colleague or against this new person who's just come in and seems to be really impressive? In our university programs, is how did I do on that exam compared to this other student or compared to this other person that I've had this been doing this project with? Have they, have they performed better than I have? And of course that spills into church life, doesn't it? Am I, am I more holy than the person sitting to my left or to my right? How, how do I stack up 
kind of against them? Am I doing as, as well as they are? They, they seem to be hungrier after God than I am, or I, th- I think I'm in a better place with God than they are. All these human-to-human comparisons. And it might make us feel something, whether good or bad, for today, for a, for a couple moments, if that. But in light of eternity, it doesn't count for anything. And the reason for that is that it's the wrong comparison. It's not a comparison that matters. It is not a comparison that matters. I, I want to show you a photo of a lion. You weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> okay, commercial break. Let's look at a picture of a lion, okay? Here we have this beautiful animal, okay? We've got a lion sitting on a rock. I want you to imagine, and the reason I'm asking you to imagine this is because I wasn't able to find a photo of it, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> I want you to imagine that there are two mice sat on the rock in front of the lion, okay? And again, there's a reason that you can't find a photo on the internet of two mice sat in front of a lion on a rock. It's because the mice wouldn't continue to exist if they were sat in front of the lion on the rock. But I want you to imagine that there are two mice on this rock in front of this lion, and these mice are having a conversation between themselves about which one of them is better. Which one of them is a better mouse? Which one of them sounds better, runs better, squeaks better, whatever mice do, okay? If you're looking at this, and you're witnessing this, this imaginary tale of two mice on a rock in front of a lion, what might you say to those mice? Well, you would say, there's a lion behind you. What are you talking about? Who cares how you stack up against each other? There's a far more important thing to be focused on right now, and that is how you stack up to the lion that is behind you. But this is what we do, day in, day out. As people that as we read in Psalms, that we, in light of eternity, we are here but as a breath. And we spend so much of our attention as mice, please hear that in the right way, comparing ourselves to other mice, to others that are here but as a breath. Isn't this part of the commission that God has placed on the church of Jesus Christ to say to the world, stop with your human-to-human comparisons? Because there is a lion that is going to roar. And there's only one comparison that matters. And that is how you compare to him. And compared to the lion, none of us are worthy. None of us are qualified. None of us are deserving. What are you going to do with that comparison? But praise God. Praise God in that in sending his son, Jesus Christ. Revelation, what is the other way that Jesus is named? The Lion of Judah, right? The lion, Palm Sunday, the lion of Judah who sat on a young donkey to enter Jerusalem. Wow. Wow. Praise God that he has made a way for us to be seen through his son. What does that mean? We can be seen by the holy God who rules and reigns over all through the only one in history who is truly qualified to be like God. We get to be seen through him. And through him, Jesus declares us righteous. Jesus declares us part of his family as sons and daughters. We are justified in him. We are redeemed. We are bought with a price. What's the price? The price is the blood of the lion. The only one deserving. The only one deserving of the qualification of being like God. Jesus said himself, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 